You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here today. I showed up a little early this morning, about 9.30, and it was so cool to see the parking lot full. It was so cool. I was kind of a creeper. I was walking around the Sunday school classes, and I got to see our new Sunday school program taking effect. The kids were in there. They were learning about the scriptures. They were learning about, about Jesus, and they've been learning about the Old Testament. I got a chance to go over and spy on those who were praying, and there was a room full of people praying for the gathering. And I got a chance to go over to the library and see the discipleship group in full swing. And it hit me like this place has had an hour of prayer, an hour of scripture reading, an hour of worship before we even gathered here today. It was exciting. And then on top of that, we get to, we get to walk along Craig as he becomes ordained today, our first ordination council. I'm pumped about that. I'm super excited about the deacons who have long been serving and being vetted and have prepared for this moment, and they're going to become active leaders in the church. They're going to leave this place and immediately go set up tables for a dinner for our, our body. And then there's two pastors here getting licensed today who have long served this church. That's Mike and Jesse. So it's an exciting day. We get to continue on in our vision series today. We've, uh, we've had the benefit of hearing Sam talk about the person of Jesus. We've had the great privilege of hearing Craig talk about what it means to be the family of God. And today, we get to end in our final rhythm talking about the mission of God. This is how we see the members of our church moving through the discipleship process. Falling in love with Jesus. Becoming engaged in loving the family of God. And then out there doing the mission of God. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we are gathered here today. I thank you so much for the work you are doing. We are eagerly anticipating it. We are for it, Father. Uh, As we go through this message today, I pray that you be with the ears that hear. Father, let them hear the things that they want to hear. Let Let this message on mission be a blessing and an excitement creator, and not a burden for them. Father, be with me as I preach. I long to only glorify you. Keep me from pride. Keep me from saying things that are foolish. But Father, be in this time. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we are, talking about what Red Tree views mission, how the Bible views mission, and I'm excited today. So I want to start by just reading where we at Red Tree have come on our definition for mission, so to speak. It says, The gospel not only saves us from sin and death, it also saves us to a new and glorious purpose in life. With this life, we get the privilege of participating in God's redeeming work on earth. We proclaim the manifest and manifest God's coming kingdom through love, sacrifice, and service to the world around us. We are passionate about cultivating a culture of worship, discipleship, 
community, and mission in our city. We are passionate about cultivating a culture of worship, discipleship, community, and mission in our city. See, as it said in that definition, we are part of this new and glorious life. And we get, like we get, to be the hands and feet of our risen Savior Jesus now, in this time, and in this place. We get to speak the words of life to a lost world and encourage fellow believers and saints. This is what we believe. It's a beautiful, beautiful invitation. But in my experience, this is where I come from, and when we talk about mission and gospel community, when when I've heard other sermons on mission, mission actually can cause a lot of confusion and in a lot of cases burden. This is one of the things I've learned in my ministry is every time mission comes up, there's this awkward thing that happens. So I want to deal with that right away. Because I I do know that this can be a difficult topic for some. So let's start by making something extremely, extremely clear. And I'm going to talk to all the believers in the room in this moment. You, who have been washed in the blood of Christ, you, who have believed in the Lord Jesus, have laid your burden down. You have set your need for striving, working, and fear down at the foot of the cross. You've been made whole and reconciled to a holy God. You have said, Lord, I cannot earn salvation. You said, you must do this for for me. And he has. He did it on the cross. And this is true. Like we just sang, your chains are gone. You are free. I start like this. Because as I was preparing... I had this image, if any of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, there's this great image in Pilgrim's Progress of Pilgrim, the the main character of the story, laying his burden down at the cross. It's beautiful. But I have this this weird image or this weird fear that during this time of, of, of you or the hearers taking that burden, that thing, that that striving, working for righteousness, and setting that at the feet of the cross, and it's this beautiful, glorious image, and that's done. But I have this fear that you'll hear a message on mission, and you'll hear me picking up that burden and waiting as you walk out that door to put that right back on your back. That you'll hear a message on mission and be more concerned about earning salvation and not about participating in the glorious mission of God. I have good news for you today. We are not talking about that. What we are talking about today is being excited, anticipating the work that God is doing and being all for it. You are free. Your work is belief. So that's where I'm coming from today. That's where we're going to start. We're going to jump into our text, which is in Genesis 29, verses 9 through 20. And it says, While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, 
Jacob, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house of Jacob. Told, and Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you not therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I found our text today extremely instructive for a sermon on mission. See, some of you may know the fuller story of of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, and it is. It's a messy, complicated love story, but tucked into the middle of it is this beautiful, beautiful image of what it looks like to labor in love, to pursue the one you care about with reckless abandon. Jacob sees a beauty a woman that he longs for, Rachel. And she changes everything for him. In response to his love, he really doesn't have a choice. He has to reorient his life around this love. He even goes, for the guys in the room, he even goes as far as to go work for his soon-to-be father-in-law for seven years. It's not a task many of us want to do. So I have a question for you. Those of you who are married, who here remembers the first time you saw your soon-to-be spouse? Yeah? It was a special moment, wasn't it? Who here remembers the life restructuring that happened in the days, months, and years that came after that? Think about it. You started to meet his or her friends, You started to go to parties with them. You sat with people in awkward conversations. Some of her friends you liked, some of his friends you didn't like. They started having you eat new food, like sushi. (laughs) You You stopped watching movies out with them, and you started going to a play. Maybe you had to do some hard things. Maybe you had to get your parents to like this person. Maybe you had to sever other relationships so that that relationship could blossom. I have this story in my own life with with my wife, Deanne. When we fell in love, she was in high school and I was in college. And I fell in love with Deanne right away. And she she invited me to prom. The prom was right around the corner. And I was so broke. I had no money at all. 
I had nothing of value. The only thing I could think of was I had this CD collection that I'd worked all of high school to put together, and it was great, and I loved it. But it was like nothing, because I took those CDs over to Slacker's Music, and I sold those all. (laughs) And I did that to go buy a $70 tuxedo that was ill-fitting, that was basically made of paper, and the vest didn't have a back on it. (laughs) So I sweated the entire time. And it showed. (laughs) But I did that because I was not about to let her go to prom with a friend. (laughs) I was in it for that opportunity. I was for that moment. And I bet if any of you got up here, you would have similar stories like that of a life restructured around love. That's because love causes a natural and beautiful shifting of priorities and affections. You start to do things that cost you to be with the one you love. Brothers and sisters, it's like that with Jesus. There's a reason why the Bible uses this beautiful metaphor of a husband and a bride for Christ and the church. See, Jesus earned his bride, and she is now free to enjoy him, to love him, and to commune with him. And as we do those things, love, commune, and enjoy Jesus, we start to see, we start to become enamored with him. We see him as our greatest treasure in all of our hearts. He has more value to us than anything this world has to offer. We start to wrap our entire life around the person of Jesus. As we do this, we find out something. He's not just here loving us, letting us wrap our lives around us, around him, but he's doing something in the world. He is filling the world with his glory. He is making his name great by redeeming that which is lost. We want in so badly. We want to be for what he is for. And brothers and sisters, this is what the true heart of mission should be. A deep affection for Jesus and an intense run, run to be what he is for and what he is doing. See, mission that is done for anything other than that intense run to be what he is for is something else. It's being a good citizen. It's being a good neighbor. It's social justice. It's a lot of other things. But for the believer in the mission of God, our motivation, our passion, is fueled by an intensity to be with and doing the work that our Jesus is for. That's the heart of mission of God. That's the first thing we're talking about. And so everything else is building on this heart of what mission should be. So now we're going to continue on. Now that we have established that fire, that romance, we're going to talk about the opportunity for mission that exists for us as believers. I like how Sam, when we were first going through this, Sam sat us down and we were all talking about the vision series, and Sam had this statement in here that I loved about about mission. He said, mission is the only aspect of the Christian life that will not exist in heaven. We will be united to Christ for eternity. 
we will be covenantly related to his family for eternity. One day, however, the mission of God will be accomplished. That's a beautiful thing. See, one day, believers, you will stand in heaven. You will be clothed in a white robe. Your ailments, your hurts will be gone. Indwelling sin, temptation will fall from you like a leaf on a tree. And you will stand in heaven where everything will pulsate with the goodness and glory of God. Every tree that you see will perfectly glorify God. Every river will hum his goodness. And every stone will be perfect in his stoniness for the glory of God. It'll be amazing. And you'll have this interaction where the first person that passes by you, you'll look at them and you'll say, let me tell you about how good my Jesus is. And they'll turn to you and say, I know, he's amazing. He did X, Y, and Z for me. And you'll say, and he did A, B, and C for me. And you'll cry and you'll laugh and it'll be a glorious time and it'll happen for the next trillion years. You will be in constant joy and constant happiness. And that's what eternity will be like, surrounded by the goodness of God. But believer, here, today, in this moment, God has chosen this time and place to glorify himself in a different way. He's chosen that broken people have an opportunity to choose him and to be a part of his mission in the midst of their brokenness. He's chosen that you can have an impact for his kingdom now in your work, in your neighborhood, and in your city. You are currently predestined before the foundation of the universe to be here doing the work of the kingdom. And you know what? He's doing the work with you. The Great Commission reads, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch that last line? Did you catch that last line? He is with us in the mission. He is with us while we speak to our grieving friends. He is with us as we give godly wisdom to our friend whose marriage is utterly falling apart. He is with us as we teach Sunday school and want to pull our hair out. And he is with us in the fight. He has offered us the opportunity, like soldiers in a battle, to put on the full armor of God each day and run hard into a world and choose Jesus. Today is the day that you can talk to someone about Jesus and get pushback. It's a rare day in the scope of eternity. It's a rare day today in the scope of eternity.
We only have this life to pick up our sword and run into enemy-occupied territory. Just like Jacob in the field for seven years. Some of us only have five years. Some have ten. Some of us have, that corner has up to 50 years to fight and carry out the mission of God. We only have this time to make much of Jesus and proclaim his excellencies to a broken world. We have the privilege now and today to fight alongside Jesus. We only have this life. Brothers and sisters, you are Jacob in this field serving for seven years. This time will go by fast. It says in verse 20 of today's text that seven years seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So, that's, so we've talked about the heart of mission, carrying the heart of mission over. And we've talked about the rare opportunity we have now in these skin and bones for the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing here. Now I think it's time we get a little practical, that we talk about what this looks like on a day-to-day basis. And I want to start by talking about what the Bible says God cares about. I'm going to just throw some scriptures at you, and I'm going to cite the text, and if you want to listen to the sermon audio and check me, you can. But it says, to love one another as yourself, Mark 12, 31. Make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. The Bible tells us to defend the oppressed and care for the orphan and widow, and widow. Isaiah 1, 17. The Bible tells us to show mercy to the least of these. Matthew 25, 40. It tells us to care for those who are not at home in the country that we live in. Leviticus 19, 33. And it tells us to feed and clothe the poor. Luke 3, 10 through 11. Brothers and sisters, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. You can pick up your Bible and find out what God cares about, but he cares about that and he's in all of these things. He wants you alongside him. And here's the great thing. Because we know the gospel, because we know that the gospel is the only thing we really need in life, you have the opportunity to consider the needs of others' need for the gospel as well. See, the people you come across on your way to work, in the halls of your school, in the grocery store, all the people that you come across on your day-to-day, even the people who are sitting at your dining room table or the people sitting next to you, they need Jesus. Even if they don't look like they do. People will look like they have it all together, but they need the one you have wrapped your life around. They have nothing without Christ. We are placed here in St. Louis to minister to a hurting world. And we have the opportunity in circumstances to bring tangible examples of God's goodness to their hearts. So what does mission look like and what does mission mean? I've got a little list here. I'm going to go through it. This is not an exhaustive list. And I want you to listen carefully. Let your heart listen carefully as you take these in. Mission means 
taking up a collection in your GC to support a neighbor who has a broken car. Mission means cutting your elderly neighbor's grass. Mission means defending your client against a boss who wants to cheat them. Mission means sharing the gospel of hope with a hurting coworker. Mission means opening our home to a widow, an orphan, or anyone else who needs a home. Mission means serving churches on the street. Or mission means serving We Love Baldwin. Mission means spreading the good news of the gospel near and far to a large group or to an individual. Mission means unwinding the curse of the fall and pointing a dark and lost world to the light and hope that is Christ Jesus. We don't do these things because our hope is here on earth, but because our hope is eternally minded. We get to show compassion and care for those who are hurting, and we get to passionately support what Christ is doing and point others to that great hope. See, brothers and sisters, we are a ground-taking, kingdom-advancing force because we fight along the greatest of the great, Jesus Christ. He cares so much about the lost. So we care about the lost in only a way a believer can. Because this world sees broken people and they care and they do things. But we care in a special way. When we care about someone who's hurting, we don't just see someone who's hurting. We see an image bearer of God who has fallen away, who is broken in sin, and we see them is the masterpiece they truly are, and we long to see that masterpiece fully restored, and we long to spend eternity with that soul on the other end of eternity. So what are our next steps? We've got the conviction. We've got the fire in our hearts. We see the rareness of this opportunity, and we know that God is about doing really, really practical things. But where do we go from here? I think the first place we need to go is to our knees. We need to beg God to show us what he's for, to show us what he cares about, and diligently pray for opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. We have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people who are ready to engage a fallen world. And this next one requires careful examination. So I think some of you, myself included, already have convictions that God has placed on our hearts. Convictions that we've seen brokenness, that we feel a need to act, and we've said, we'll do that later. I'm not sure that's my calling. I'm not sure of this. I'm not sure of that. I think it's time we need to really evaluate those convictions and take some concrete steps concrete steps together as a church. And the next thing I think we should do is really consider the resources, opportunities, influence, and leadership that God has placed us in. Opportunities, resources, circumstances, these are things that God has already given us that we have influence in a hurt and dying world. 
And I pray that you'll meet with your GCs and you will meet with your pastors and you will meet with those brothers and sisters you care about and you guys can wrestle with those together and move forward in the mission of God. So I'm going to end like this. This is where I want to end. I want to end by telling you about how we at Red Tree view this playing out on a day-to-day. Our vision at Red Tree is seeing each and every member of our family serving God towards their specific calling of the Holy Spirit in the short term and in the long term. We want to see this in short term and long term, advancing the gospel, advancing the kingdom of God, and spreading the, new, the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to see our body change their world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the short term, that might mean going and having a conversation with a friend. And in the long term, that might mean opening your home up to foster care. Now, those are big things, and you are not meant to do those alone. This is something that I don't think we talk about enough. Your gospel community, that group you meet with every single week, is specifically designed to encourage you and to support you if in pursuing the mission of God you become hurt along the way. That gospel community you meet with every week is meant to support you and to take care of you if, in, if during the mission you get hurt along the way. That's what your GC is designed to do. Your pastors are here to affirm you, to shepherd you, and to pray for you. And this church is here to resource you as you go throughout the mission of God. Believer, remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Some of the convictions that God has given you will take months or years to implement, and we need to start now. I want to end with this little little segment from Valley of Vision. Lord, use me as thou wilt. Do with me what thou wilt, but oh, promote thy cause. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, do thou bring great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me to grasp for multitudes of souls. Let me be willing to die to the end. And while I live, let me labor for thee to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably in his work, both in health and in weakness. It is thy cause and kingdom I long, I long for, not my own. O oh, answer thou my request. Believer, just like Jacob in the field, who labored for what was just but a few days. Now is the time to advance God's mission. Now is the time to firmly set your affections and hope on Jesus, and now is the time to act on the convictions of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, please be with us as we, as we wrestle with you, as we find out what you're doing in this world, as we, as we see our flesh pull us in one way and your mission go in another. Father, be with these believers. Help them to fall madly in love with you, Jesus. I ask this in the name of our precious Savior. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.